Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Casual Criminalist. As always, hello there. I'm your host, Simon. I realize my voice sounds a little bit nasal. It's uh, spring, and uh, I never had hay fever my entire life. That a couple of years ago, my body was like, guess what you got now? <laughs> hay fever. Enjoy that forever. And I was like, brilliant, thanks. This isn't going to affect my work at all. And then they make these drugs you can take, but I think they make you drowsy, so I haven't taken them because I have stuff to do. Anyway, today is uh, the episode where we get into YouTube drama. <laughs> I say that that's that's I always like th- <laughs> I always think of like a good intro to these and then I always say it and it ends up not being that funny <laughs> so um, the joke is that um, apparently this is an episode about a youtuber who killed someone and I don't think that really qualifies as drama it more qualifies as like major crimes so uh, although with the number of people like scamming people with crypto coins and stuff seems like pretty not obviously it's not the same as murder but uh, anyway enough of the introduction what happens here uh, kevin wrote this for me thank you kevin uh, i'm gonna read it jen's gonna edit it and uh let's jump in youtube oh by the way if you're not aware if you're just listening to this as a podcast it also actually goes out on youtube as well to our may i say it, hundreds of thousands of subscribers thank you everybody it's brilliant YouTube is a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For viewers, it can be a place to learn interesting facts that the presenter has already forgotten before he's even finished saying them. Alright, yeah, steady on, Kevin. For those few people who are unaware, I also have several other YouTube channels where I uh, talk about facts and stuff, and uh, I've made thousands of videos, and people are like, Simon, how come you don't remember this? You made a video about it. It's like, yo, bro, thousands of videos, (laughs) and sometimes it is in the eyes and out of the mouth. You might seek out videos for entertainment like various video game channels. Maybe you're a fan of British comedy and you enjoy binging celebrity panel shows like Taskmaster or 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. I don't know Taskmaster. I know I said 8 Out of 10 Cats. It's like a comedy... Do you call it a variety show? It's not a variety show. It's like a bunch of comedians. They play games. I don't know. And I guess they did Countdown, which is another... This is very... This is all very British references. If you're anything like me, you might turn to YouTube to help you fall asleep as you watch some British guy named Simon solve Sudoku puzzles so difficult that they make your brain turn off. <laughs> Wait. People solve Sudokus on YouTube? That wasn't a pitch for a new channel. You're not the only British Simon on YouTube. Disappointed. I thought I was. But YouTube doesn't have to be a passive experience. Not only can you like, comment, and subscribe, but the comment section of videos has been used by viewers for all sorts of things. Korean school children have turned to comment sections of obscure videos to use as their own personal chat rooms. Disgusting old men have used comment sections on children's videos, either as their personal grooming headquarters as or, or as a place to meet like-minded individuals. Yeah, I remember this. There was the, it was a few years ago where they were like, we have to turn off comments on YouTube videos because there are... Uh, There are sickos in the world. Then there's the creators themselves. Honestly, there are far more reasons people put content on YouTube than we could ever cover. With over 82 years worth of content, 720,000 hours uploaded every hour, there are literally billions upon billions of hours of content on the platform with every possible motivation imaginable. So we're going to take a look at a couple of them that are relevant to today's episode. Holy hell, Kevin, this is a hell of an introduction. Some content creators are creatively bankrupt capitalists that monitor the current trends and publish any old thing that they think will get clicks so they can make more money. Not that I'm accusing anybody of that. All we know is that this show is permanently demonetized anyway, so I'm not sure why I brought that up. This show, uh, so... And I mean, I realize I'm getting into tangents in an already long introduction when you're all here about crime. But just a little peek behind the curtain of how this show works. Um, On YouTube, 
uh, where we publish this show as well. Obviously, you know, there's adverts on the podcast version, there's adverts on the YouTube version because I'm a good capitalist. But uh, on the YouTube version, when the adverts show, sometimes it'll say like, yeah, yeah, we can't show adverts on this video. It's like, why not? It's because you're talking about a guy who murdered 200 children. And you're like, oh, I see. So Cheerios don't want to advertise on that YouTube? Gotcha. Gotcha. However, the show is monetized. I'd say most of the videos are monetized, but they just don't do, like, compared to, I'd do another channel called Mega Projects, where we talk about construction projects, like big shit like that. And that, you know, that, that, you, you rarely run into a problem with monetization there. But don't worry about that. I do fine. There's not going to be a Patreon. You don't have to give me any money. If you want to support a sponsor, that would be grand. The other motivation that's important for today's episode is a desperate cry for help. Some content creators feel so isolated, bullied, and alone in their normal lives that they turn to the internet for some sort of validation for any indication that their existence matters at all. I'm sorry to tell you, but it doesn't. Even like super important, like big, powerful people, your existence doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, nothing matters. Like, I'm sure Julius Caesar changed history in some way. So did Alexander the Great. Does it matter today? Not particularly. <laughs> and these are the most powerful or famous people who ever lived. Welcome to the world of nihilism. But even if they receive that, online validation from strangers can never be enough. Feeling worthless and insignificant in your daily life while blatantly seeking attention from family or teachers that is never required can take a massive toll on a person's psyche. If that mental anguish wasn't enough, imagine not only experiencing those feelings of worthlessness that seem to be confirmed by everyone around you in your real life, but also being trapped in a body in which you don't belong. Imagine the emotional pain of waking up every morning in a male body with those disgusting dangly bits between your legs when, you know, deep down in your black, uncaring soul that you're not a boy, you're a girl. You're a cartoon girl who's also a ghost. All right. Where's the PC line? Because I'm totally a, like gender um, misidentity. What's it called? Where people feel that they're in the wrong body. Obviously, that's a thing. And I totally believe in that. And I think people can choose what gender they want. God, I'm sounding very woke. Uh, I just, that makes perfect sense to me. What doesn't make sense is identifying as a cartoon ghost. And I'm sure in five years, people are like, cancel Simon. He doesn't let people identify as ghosts. But it does seem a bit silly, doesn't it? And death is the only thing that can free you from the unbearable shackles of oppression that came from being born as a male. All right. I mean, it's a bit weird, isn't it? We've got we've got dark. Randy Stair was born on September the 17th, 1992 in Dallas, Pennsylvania. He had a relatively normal childhood. I thought Dallas. Oh, there's going to be two Dallases. Cuz Dallas Big Dallas, I guess, is in Texas. Yeehaw! He had a relatively normal childhood growing up with his parents and older brother. Randy was always introverted and socially awkward and did not particularly like being around other people. It was a pretty understandable point of view for him to take because people are the worst. If they weren't, this show wouldn't exist. It's not, yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> I like being around other people, but I also don't. Casual misanthropy aside, Randy had the typical childhood of a relative loner. You know, that quiet type of kid whose family and neighbors always say on the news, I can't believe it. He always seemed like such a nice boy. That's everyone. Because if you say like, nah, nah, he always seemed like a bit of a predator. He always seems like he was going to murder 200 children. Then people will be like, what the f*** didn't you do something then? Come on. <laughs> Pedro Lopez seemed great. What a nice guy. He always seemed super chill and normal. Definitely not murdering 200 children. Oh my god. I still think about the Pedro Lopez episode. It makes me so sad. Ah. Oh. 
This is exactly what would be said of Randy as well, even by his co-worker, which is utterly shocking and shows just how little attention anyone was paying to him. By the time middle school rolled around, Randy was already beginning to show signs of developing mental illness. He was obsessed with death and had an idyllic view towards suicide. He was clearly suffering from major depression, but beyond that, it's impossible for us to say if there was some greater underlying condition of which his depression was merely a symptom. Randy hated the idea of therapy or counseling, stating that it alters who you are. Um, yeah, dude, that is the point. It alters who you are to be better. Considering he didn't seem particularly happy with who he was, maybe that would have been wouldn't have been a bad thing. Yeah, no, shit, Kevin. <laughs> One potential contributing factor to his depression was the immense gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, he experienced, but we'll get to that much later. Back to middle school, Randy was on the receiving end of mild bullying, as it's always cited, though that is not clearly defined from his accounts. It sounds like it was just the kind of light verbal teasing that all boys that age do to one another. Yeah, I feel like someone who classifies bullying, where it's kind of like teasing, I think it says more about them than it does the bully. But then again, if someone is like getting bullied the shit out of, then it's like, well, that just says about more about the bully. Let's just also check to see if that guy's torturing cats. And if he is, keep an eye on that psycho. The first warning signs that something was wrong came in the form of his essays for English class. Every story he wrote involved all of the characters dying or sometimes committing suicide at the ends. This is uh, this is a red flag, my guys. Uh, the teacher never said a word about the dark content to Randy, and his parents were never contacted about his writing. I feel like you see in movies, and it's like, your kid keeps drawing people getting killed. And that, I feel, has been in many movies. Whereas in real life, they'll be just like, oh, that's a nice picture. Is that blood? Yes! And nothing happens. At least as far as we know, it, but it should. It definitely should. How did someone not be like, yo, your son writes about killing people and suicide all the time? All the time. It's important to note, at least as far as we know. Oh, they were never... Okay, oh, this is one of those things. Okay, so you're speculating that we that his parents were never contacted about his writing. But it's also not important for today's story. <laughs> I just put those teachers on blast and then Kevin's like, uh, yeah, we don't know. Don't speculate with say first, Kevin. Jesus, you want to get me in trouble? It's important to note that a lot of the information we can't have comes from Randy's own journals and videos. While I'm generally inclined to think that a mentally ill murderer is not a reliable narrator, considering the sort of shit he's openly honest about, it seems unlikely that this would be a lie. Just bear in mind that statements like this are entirely from his point of view, so it's possible that the teacher or school reached out to his parents and they chose to just not talk to him about it. When Randy got to high school, great parenting there, guys. <laughs> great job. I mean if they were reached out to. If they weren't, obviously not. Why am I putting all these people on blast? Simon, just get with the story. When Randy got to high school, the bullying intensified quite a bit. He was ridiculed by the other boys who would just call him homophobic slurs, and he remained a loner throughout high school. In his search for the attention he desired, he decided to turn to YouTube. Pioneer Productions. It's quite a good name for a company. <laughs> quite a, like a YouTube channel. Pioneer Productions. I mean, a little bit corporate, but I like it. On June the 9th, 2008, Randy opened his first YouTube channel, Pioneer Productions. He went by the name Andrew Blaze online. I got a channel called Brain Blaze. No relation. But we're just going to stick with Randy because he hated his real name and I don't care to count o to the feelings of murderers. The first year of videos is entirely lost to time. While YouTube has since deleted the entire channel, the early videos were deleted off the channel at some point while it was still active, so they did not get archived by fans like the rest of his videos were. From what we know, it largely seems to be more of the same. 
Yeah. Well, so YouTube has this incredibly broken copyright system. Sorry, I, it's so hard not to go off on tangents when the script is about what I do for a living. Um, but if we get a copyright strike, you know, someone will be like, uh, you used that video and that's mine. And generally, it's like, yo, we used one second clip of your movie. That's fair use, you know. I was going to use an expletive. I don't know why I'm not. I swear on this show and Jen filters it, but whatever. Um, and then YouTube doesn't tell you. They don't let you watch your video to see what the offending material is, which is insanity. So normally I just have to Google the name of the video and find someone who's ripped it off. And then I can use that to watch. This is Please don't rip off my videos. But it's actually, that's how I find out what the content was that was stolen, which is uh, insane. It's insane that that's how it works. Meanwhile, I can't use one second of a clip and my entire video is being ripped off by another channel, another website. Great work, copyright world. Great work there. Thank you. Pioneer Productions was almost entirely short comedy sketches. Randy even became more isolated as he ventured into YouTube, so he was almost always the only human character in any of the videos. Yeah, feels familiar. <laughs> the other three main characters were Mr. Horsehead, which was a toy horsehead on a stick, Whale, a stuffed whale he won from a claw machine, and Froggy, a plastic frog he purposefully left behind at the bottom of a grocery store carriage. What? He was grateful and appreciative of his fans and would frequently tell them he had no idea what he would have done without them. This was the first of multiple channels that Randy would create over the years. Still, even though he now finally had a place where he felt like he mattered, his dark and obsessive thoughts were overpowering. He couldn't escape his obsession with death and would fantasize about lighting himself on fire. Holy <laughs> Dude. I don't want to go to therapy because it will change me. When your current status is thinking about lighting yourself on fire... You need some change, my dude. <laughs> Feels like a good rule when your current state. We've got the the rules of the casual criminalist. And I saw an updated list the other day. <laughs> this isn't a rule for criminalists. This is a rule for people. If your default state of mind is regularly thinking about setting yourself on fire, seek professional help. Maybe had he not been so fundamentally opposed to the idea of therapy, someone could have helped him work through the pain he was struggling with. Instead of seeking the advice of a professional, Randy decided he was going to live his life by following the advice of a monster. Just before we continue the podcast today, let me tell you about today's wonderful sponsor, Daily Harvest. At the end of what feels like an endless workday, the last thing I want to do is come home and cook dinner. Actually, I mean, that's what the copy says. I have to say, I don't mind cooking. I don't, I've said this before, I don't mind the cooking part of dinner. Like, the, my, the bit I mind is getting all the ingredients and stuff together and finding recipes. And all that. I find cooking quite relaxing. I find going to the supermarket to be an absolute living nightmare. And it's like, you try to find what you want to eat and it's never there or you can't decide what to eat. Daily Harvest, baby, solves all of those problems. And uh, also, I don't know, I'm also someone when I don't feel like cooking. I just immediately go into, you know, get some food delivered. Easy does it. And then you're like, oh, I'm eating all this unhealthy food all the time. Why? Why do I do this to myself? What Daily Harvest do is they help you keep your freezer fully stocked with options that are delivered right to your door. And they're delicious, nourishing, and ready in minutes. Harvest bowls, soups, flatbreads. Oh, God, flatbreads. What is so good about flatbread? I don't even know. There's something just right about delicious bread. 
I don't know, flatbreads are my absolute jam. Snacks, smoothies, lattes, really? That's cool. And more, built on organic fruits and vegetables. It's got delicious options for any time of the day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and dessert. Plus, everything's always on hand in your freezer, ready to enjoy it whenever you need it. It's just, this is a healthier option. It's an easier option. It's ready in minutes. There's no nightmare in the supermarket. There's no complicated cooking. It's just simple preparation always there ready to go you've got never got to question whether food routing is good for you it's both good for oh it's also good for the planet that's nice and you support farmers who invest in practices that increase biodiversity and improve the health of soil i don't even know how that's possible but that's awesome great oh they've also got something new harvest bakes for those moments when you're looking for homemade feel without any of the work (laughs) what do you want good result without having to make any effort yes please Go to avoid that takeout temptation and get Daily Harvest. Go to dailyharvest.com slash casual to get up to $40 off your first box. That's a lot off. That's dailyharvest.com slash casual for up to $40 off your first box. dailyharvest.com slash casual. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by one of our regular sponsors, one of my favorites, naturally, Shopify. Shopify, uh, if it doesn't give it away in the name, they allow you to make an online shop. And not only that, I mean, back in the day, this used to be a thing. I've told this story before about a mate of mine who had like an online store and it was this super expensive nightmare. And I, I don't think I've told this part of the story. I remember going to his store and being like, mate, this is how we search for things. It takes like five minutes to load and it doesn't deliver what I want. And he's like, yeah, I know. And I spent thousands upon thousands of pounds having this made. And I'm like, and it's still, sh- I won't swear, but it's it's not, Let's. it wasn't brilliant. But now uh, he switched over to Shopify. He did. I'm not even joking. Well, I, I actually think his original store was still on this crazy thing and he spent tons of money on, but he opened like another store and he was like, dude, obviously I just went with Shopify. And I'm like, this one's much better, isn't it? It just works. And he's like, yeah, you know what? It's also much cheaper. And I'm like, well, that's brilliant. I, I'm sure there's some copy that I have to read. Um, I'm sorry, I haven't done that yet. They, they do tell me, you know, tell a personal story. But normally that comes in the middle. I apologize, Shopify. Let me get this right. Don't worry. I'm going to get all of your talking points in. Uh, they give entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business so upstart startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. That's easy. That's brilliant. In-person store sales as well. That's just handy. Everything goes together all nicely, doesn't it? I've worked in stores before, and it's like there's the till, and there's money, and there's bills. And I'm like, I didn't have to deal with any of that sh- I <laughs> bleep that out i don't have to deal with any of that stuff because i was just the checkout boy but my boss it was a massive headache for him he should have used i mean this was well before shopify so i guess he couldn't shopify powers millions of businesses from first sale to full scale so yeah if your business does really well they're still there for you you don't have to change shopify will still work Go to shopify.com slash casual, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash casual right now. Shopify.com slash casual. And now back to today's podcast. Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold. Ah, uh, these are the... The, um... Oh, which massacre was it? They're, they're definitely... Uh, is it Columbine? I assume Kevin's going to tell us literally in the next line, I'm certain. Eric and Dylan were the perpetrators of the 1919 Columbine school shooting, which we have a video coming up on. I've been putting it off 
I've been putting it off and I can't do there's I see it in my recording list and it's been written and just I know that all of the videos on this channel are about horrible murderers doing horrible things except when we cover a heist which is a reprieve but I've been that Columbine one has been sitting in my queue for like two weeks because I'm like I don't it I don't like it and no I'm not going to cover Sandy Hook because Jesus Christ Ramsey was obsessed with Columbine and the two. Oh, it's also really nice news this morning. Uh, what's his face? Alex Jones uh, is company. Uh, allegedly. I want to say allegedly just because the one squad's got in trouble because I got this wrong. <laughs> um, allegedly declared bankruptcy because he was getting sued by too many. I don't know what it was, but it was good news because f- Alex Jones. And the relevance is he denied the Sandy, that Sandy Hook happens. And I'm like, Christ. Randy was obsessed with Columbine and the two killers, especially Eric Harris, who he idolized. I find this a little bit ironic, as Randy was far more similar to Dylan than Eric, but whatever. Well, we don't always idolize people who are similar to us. We idolize people who we want to be like. It's not If you idolize someone who's similar to you, then you're like, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Because they're too close to you. Like, we idolize people who do things that we can't. There are a lot of misconceptions about Columbine that were perpetrated and proliferated by the media at the time. The biggest misconception is that Eric and Dylan were unpopular loners who lashed out at their classmates after years of bullying. This is almost certainly what drew Randy to them, and it was as it would have made them feel like kindred spirits. It also is completely fabricated because it was somehow easier for people to understand than the fact that Eric was just a full-blown psychopath who really, really wanted to murder people. The truth is that Columbine, the Columbine shooters probably had more friends in high school than you did. While the Trenchcoat Mafia was a group of bullied loners at Columbine, Eric and Dylan weren't part of it. They were just reported as such because they frequently wore black and played violent video games. Their motivation was not personal at all. They just hated the world and wanted to kill as many people as possible, only choosing to use their school out of convenience. There's a whole lot that could be said about that entire situation, but that would be the topic of a different episode. Indeed, a different episode that is uh, soon coming along that I don't think Kevin actually wrote. So this is all just a fun coincidence. Yay! Fun! Columbine! Regardless, Randy was not only obsessed with Columbine and the two killers, but he was openly obsessed about it. Despite this, he still didn't receive any attention as a result of it. He says on one single occasion that his mother asked him why he was so interested in it, but that was as far as it went. Oh my god. If your kid is showing a lot of interest in uh, school massacres, just like reading about them, talking about them, idolizing the perpetrators, therapy, not therapy. What's the other? Psychiatry. Get them to a professional. Get some help. Please. Not joking. I just realized if you can't afford it, America, your health system is f***ed up. I don't know what you can't afford it, but too bad. (laughs) Too bad. Talk to a counselor, school of counselors, something like that. Talk to somebody. He purchased multiple white shirts that said natural selection on them, the same shirt Eric Harris wore during the shooting, and would wear them multiple days in a row without ever receiving a comment about them. Now, that just feels like this guy's trying to be... Okay, it's either you're a total psycho, or you're just trying to be a little bit edgy, aren't you? It's just It feels like cringe, rather than this guy's going to murder. Maybe it's both. It is both. That's probably because most people aren't aware of that fun fact and had no idea he was paying homage to a murderous psychopath 
with what could be seen as a generic angsty teen's shirt. Still, to the death-obsessed Ramsey, this was a very obvious and deliberate act, and someone should have talked to him about it. Even if his parents were under- even if his parents very understandably didn't catch the reference, I'd like to think that Asquire was wearing the same shirt three days in a row, because that's gross. He's also a teenager. And also, I wear shirts. This thing, you gotta change your t-shirt every day, so if it doesn't smell, no. I'm gonna wear it. What's that line? Um, there's a band I love called Jack's Mannequin, and they have a line in a song about this. Like, if it's not dirty, I'm gonna wear it. Something like that. Truth! Truth! What? We don't need to wash. Like, underwear and socks I'll change every day. I've probably worn this t-shirt, like this, this polo shirt, a couple of days in a row. Why not? Doesn't smell. Must smell fine. It's not even summer yet. Encounters with death. During high school, a friend of Randy's brother, Tom, died in a car crash. Even though he hadn't known Tom well, this fucked with Randy's head in a big way. And if that wasn't enough, a new friend he had made, Matt, also died in a car crash. Oh my god, dude, that is horrible. In his journal, he wrote, Tom's death sucked the light out of life out of me. Matt's death killed me. Randy already thought and fantasized about death a lot, and this trauma plunged him deeper into darkness. In a live stream on his channel, he talked about how he thought about death all the time. With no healthy coping mechanisms, he had no idea how to handle these deaths. Seriously, my dude, it's okay to talk to a therapist. You need help. It's totally okay to talk to a therapist. Talking to a therapist is a good thing. Don't they? I feel like a school nowadays. I mean, you have like careers counselors and stuff have they got like therapists in school where you have to go and have a little chat with them i thought that would be great i think you should just have to do like half an hour with a with a therapist like you do with a careers counselor is that a thing that should definitely be a thing and if it's not there should be like there should be movements to get that sorted out because this would be really valuable like not one not that there's a therapist in the school but that you have to go talk to them just to make sure that you're not a psycho (laughs) so Tell me about your mother. <laughs> Be like, I don't want to talk about my mother. I want to talk about death. Okay, you need to come back. <laughs> but instead of help, he would receive quite the opposite. Randy wound up in a car crash of his own. If there was any part of him that wasn't already broken, the car accident made sure to take care of that. Faced with his own mortality, Randy now had to consider the prospect of getting older. And that idea terrified him. During a Q&A video shortly before his two-year YouTube anniversary, One of the questions he was asked was about old people on YouTube. At the time, he said it was a great thing, and he didn't see any reason the platform should be dominated by angst-ridden teens. He also thought that elderly YouTubers could probably give people great advice, since they had done and seen so much. Very solid opinion. Following his accident, however, his attitude completely changed. Ramsey suddenly had an intense hatred of old people. He, they disgusted him, and the idea of growing old himself was unacceptable. He thought it was stupid and pointless to live beyond 30. <laughs> yeah, dude, but then you get to 30, you're like, all right, let's see how another 10 years treats us. Then you get to 40, and you think that you probably get to 80, and you think the same thing. You're like, oh, let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. So I imagine he'd really like the movie Logan's Run don't get the reference i've never seen logan's run but not only did this brush with death flip a switch in randy's brain that made him detest the elderly and the idea of living a full and productive life it sent him spiraling deep into his other obsession ember mclean randy had been obsessed with ember mclean for years to the point that he thought of her as a goddess ember was an unpopular girl in high school who had dreams of becoming a rock star one day a boy not randy asked her out to the movies probably as a cruel joke she waited 
for him for hours telling herself that he was just running late the entire night she sat waiting but he never showed up as the sun started to rise she finally gave up and made her way back home collapsing in her bed from having been up all night she was so exhausted that she didn't wake up when the accidental fire started soon her entire house was in flames with ember inside after her death Emma finally got to live out her dream. She was able to use her hypnotic powers to achieve rock star status in her attempt to take over the world. Ember draws her power from people saying her name, and if you haven't figured it out yet, she's a cartoon character. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is a fiction of Randy's imagination at some point. Um, this is this is a stretch. <laughs> Emma McLean is a villain from the Nickelodeon cartoon Danny Phantom, but for some reason the show and character resonated with Randy in a profound way. Well, this is actually a show that went on. <laughs> I was like, this sounds like it's written by an angsty teenager. <laughs> Danny Phantom. It doesn't sound very good. Is this popular? Is this something that my kid is going to watch someday and I'm going to be like, oh, Christ. Much like Randy, Ember was an unpopular high schooler who wanted to be famous as someone who just wanted to be seen and recognized. Randy also would have drawn power from people saying his name. Though in this case, it was metaphorical. Ember meant everything to Randy. Danny Phantom wasn't just a show, it was his life. I don't mean that this show was really important to him. I mean, he seemed to believe all of these things, the cartoon ghost dimension and the characters within it. They really existed, and it was where his life was meant to be taking place, Randy. <laughs> this is the sort of shit you read Harry Potter when you're eight. And it's like, why aren't I in the wizarding world? It looks awesome. Is that I have to go study boring subjects like maths? What the? Come on. Yeah, except obviously it's not real, is it? <laughs> Good lord. Randy finally came to terms with the fact that he was a girl, so from this point forward, I'll be using she, her pronouns. Unfortunately, Randy's psyche was completely broken, and she didn't just think that she was a girl, but that she was a ghost girl. She wanted to die so that she could take her true form as a ghost girl and live happily ever after in the afterlife, palling around with her buddy Ember. I cannot possibly stress enough this episode that it's seriously okay to go to therapy. Even if you think ghosts are real, which they aren't, you who are a living, breathing human being should not believe you're actually a ghost trapped in a human body. Then again, if ghosts are real, then in a way, aren't we all ghosts trapped in human bodies? It really makes you think. It's true. It's like, well, when we die, our ghost escapes our body and lives on in the ghost realm. This isn't true. It's obviously false. Let's carry on. Not only did Randy believe that she would be reborn as a ghost girl, but she seemed to think that she had already spent time as one. In her journal, she wrote, I miss my cartoon life form. Bodies in this dimension are tolerable, but they're nothing compared to that dimension. In an attempt to make her outer body match what she felt like inside, Randy made changes to try and better fit her ghost girl soul. She would skip meals to be thinner and shaved her entire body with a girl's razor. At first, she kept the razor hidden, but then would leave it in plain view in the bathroom with all her other toiletries. Much to Randy's dismay, no one ever said anything about either thing. Holy <laughs> your parents are not paying attention. It's like you're completely hairless. And they're like, what happened to all your hair? That, yeah, why? Come on. Do you have an eating? Like, come on. What's going on? She never received any comments regarding the razor or other feminine bathroom products, and her family didn't seem to notice when she skipped meals, something that contributed to her feelings of worthlessness. During this time, Randy also began purchasing her own girls' clothes. For years, when her family went to their bowling league every Wednesday night, she would either make a video for Pioneer Productions or bother her mother's, borrow her mother's clothes and wear them. But eventually, she brought her own bras, stockings, and girls' t-shirts, including another natural selection shirt. Believing that a children's cartoon is real and that death will allow you to live with the characters is pretty messed up. But don't worry, Simon. It's about to get a whole lot weirder. Yeah, this, this I mean at this point, could be like deluded angsty teenager. But because this is an episode of Casual Criminalist, I've imagined 
it's going to get absolutely horrible any moment now. Ember's Ghost Squad Ember's Ghost Squad, EGS, was the final channel created by Ramsey. It was essentially a fan fiction channel based around the original characters who created who were part of a squad of girls led by Amber. That sounds like a copyright strike waiting to happen. Most important among her characters were Rachel Shadows and Mackenzie West. Rachel was a violent hothead who hated humans and wanted to kill them all, while Mackenzie was much more shy and reserved. Sounds like something that probably wouldn't get picked up by Nickelodeon there. Despite her work as a YouTuber having led to intense isolation, <laughs> feels familiar, EGS proved to be at least a somewhat collaborative project. Randy worked voice actors to produce a number of short cartoons featuring her original characters and their wacky, not at all disturbing antics. I get the feeling they're going to be very disturbing. It was also through EGS that Randy would meet the girl that she knew as her soulmate. If all, if I thought it was the cartoon ghost girl was your soulmate, Randy, come on. If all of Randy's mental instability and disassociation from reality wasn't painfully clear enough, she believed her soulmate was none other than Mackenzie West, the cartoon character she'd created herself. Randy created Twitter accounts for all the members of EGS, where she would carry on conversations with herself through the voices of the different fictitious characters. Throughout all of this, Randy never hid her deep inner turmoil. It was all on public display for anyone that cared enough to pay attention. And the sad thing about this story is no one seems to care. Which is... I mean... I don't know what happens later on in this story, so it's just it's just sad that no one's noticing all of this stuff, which seem to be desperate cries for help. During a 2014 live stream on it, they live streaming in 2014. Good lord, I still I think I've done like three live streams in my life on her channel and she went into details about her thoughts of death though she wanted to escape her disgusting human body so that she could live her life as the ghost girl she knew she was inside things must have turned around a bit after the live stream Wendy went randy went on to describe 2014 as one of the best years ever but it wasn't long before depression set back in and she wanted to find a way out whatever randy was going to do she knew it had to be big she needed people to notice her to make her feel like she actually mattered to the world most of what was going i'm not surprised because no one seems to care about you your parents don't notice all of that you've shaved off all of your hair it's wow most of what was going on was just a cry for help and attention though help would never come and only the attention and the only attention she received was from fans of her youtube channel who either didn't care or didn't understand the severity of the things that she was talking about but before she could shed her human body randy had one more project to complete the previous egs videos had all been short and crudely animated by herself but for her final big production she had written a 10-minute video and was going to pay to have it more professionally animated unfortunately this project was a complete and total disaster and it fell apart only serving to make randy feel more worthless than ever voice actors were extremely slow in returning their recordings and the animator backed out completely let's see if you can figure out why people may have been hesitant to collaborate on this project also just working with people like this is you know people are pretty flaky it can be pretty hard to find good people to work with i'm familiar with this situation westborough high massacre Yep, Randy's big animation project was to be a video in which she and her creation, Rachel, gunned down an entire fictional school before killing themselves. There's also that reason for people not wanting to work with you. Because that seems 
very disturbing. It's not a surprise that animators were not really interested in bringing an animated school shooting to life. Despite having already made a series of videos entitled Conspiring a Massacre leading up to this, it's honestly a bit shocking that the girl who voiced Rachel didn't seem to see any red flags in the scripts. I can under- I understand you could explain it away as art as, or edgy or whatever, but when you're in your recording booth, reciting lines like Harris and Klebold are our heroes, or you've seen a glimpse of this from Columbine before, or slash her f***ing face off, maybe, just maybe, you want to consider who you're working with. I actually disagree with that. Um, I'll explain that statement. is because, look, if you're taking a job and someone's like, here's the script, you kind of read the script, and obviously you should think about what you're recording. And I'd think about that and I'd be like, okay, so it's a horror thing. It's a horror thing. The horror's around all the time. I'm sure the person who voiced Jigsaw in the Saw movies wasn't like oh my god i should really think about this he's playing jigsaw in the saw movies of course the she's gonna say is gonna be insane um yeah or maybe i should i don't know i i understand why someone wants that and also they're getting paid for it and maybe they need money Despite work for the video beginning in 2016 by the time our story ends in june of 2017 the video wasn't finished yet randy would upload the largely unanimated video featuring his and rachel's voice work Unsurprisingly, it's weird and creepy, and I do not recommend watching it, but because it's barely animated, the visuals of the school massacre won't haunt you. Uh, speak for yourself. I thought, oh, has someone re-uploaded this? Don't re-upload that. Weird. It's weird. Don't do it. The beginning of the video potentially does give some insight into the way she was bullied, however, after an obligatory monologue about how much she worships Eric Harris. Randy's character plays back in her head the voices of those that led her to shoot up the school with taunts like, I heard you like to print out girls' Facebook pics and jizz on them. And I bet you jerk off to your precious drawings because you can't get any real pussy. Alright then. It's unclear whether these are actually the sorts of things that he had been bullied with or if they were just merciless, merely confessions. Uh, Kevin, keep your genders clear. Not because I'm encouraged, not, not because I need you to be like ultra woke, just because it's confusing. Um, but considering, oh, I suppose this is in the past, so before his, you know, choice state of being a girl. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying. But considering that some students in the video are called out uh, by name when they're murdered, I'm inclined to believe it's the former. Also to the tune, also to the voice of Rachel, you're voicing a character that perpetrates a school shooting, and you use the first and last name of one of the animated victims. How is that not a red flag to you? Um, I don't. Again, it's like, sh- I, I, how would she? I don't think she's thinking about it particularly much. She's like, okay, I'm doing a voiceover job. I'm just gonna. Okay, here we go. This is a bit weird, isn't it? Yes, this was some horror thing. Done. Game over. Next voiceover job. I'm not trying to ascribe blame here, and I know it can be hard to find work for struggling actors, but it's not like this video is the sort of thing you put in your portfolio, so it's okay to say no to a job. Not unless you need money, Kevin. <laughs> People need money. They have to eat. Is this just seems unreasonable to be so harsh on this person who just took a job. The unfinished Westboro High Massacre video was posted by Randy on her last day on Earth. She had been planning it for months and alluded to it in her streams and videos. Her sock puppet Twitter accounts were all coming down the days until were all counting down the days into the big event. Rachel did so with murderous glee, while Randy's soulmate Mackenzie was openly nervous about what was going to happen. But it was too late to back out now. Randy had been planning this for too long, and everything was set in place. It was so sad. Heads you live, tails you die. By this point, you might be confused, wondering if I accidentally sent Simon a script for his upcoming channel, The Casual Psychoanalyst, rather than The Casual Criminalist. 
<laughs> it's not a real upcoming channel, don't worry. Fear not, you bloodthirsty ghouls, the murders are coming. In fact, it was a mere 44 days before the murders that Randy's mother took her to the gun store to buy a shotgun. I got it! I f***ing got it! Two Mossberg 500 shotguns! F***ing got it! Randy's mother, what are you doing? Wait, did you just say you're buying your daughter? A shotgun. Despite all Randy's cries for help and red flags waving everywhere, her mother didn't see a problem with casually taking a mentally unstable child shopping for firearms. She also had no idea that Randy got not one but two guns, both Mossberg 500 pump-action shotguns, one regular and one sawn-off. Something that is normally illegal, but Mossberg has a fun legal loophole around with their super shorty model. It's not a sawn-off, it's just short. We did technically saw it off, it was made originally without the top. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you buy a regular shotgun, you just snap it off. Easy. Randy shot videos in her yard doing target practice with her new guns, but there was someone else holding the camera. What the f is going on in your household? I know this is America, but isn't this girl in high school? And she's being bought two shotguns by her mum. And also her mum didn't realise that she bought two shotguns. And also, how is she buying shotguns? This is insanity. I'm sure the Americans are like, yeah, of course. She just went down to the Dick's Ammo. What's that store? It's like Dick's Guns and Ammo or something. Is that is that? No, it's Ammunition. I feel like I feel like Dick's Sporting Goods. Why do I know this? Um, I just went down to Dick's Sporting Goods and bought my daughter two shotguns. What? <laughs> what America? <laughs> this is completely normal behavior. It's not. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Fortunately, it is unlikely to be a deranged accomplice as she had been looking for a fan to film and upload the big event, which thankfully didn't happen. Originally, Randy had wanted the big day to be May the 7th, 2019, because the numbers 5, 7, and 19 correspond to EGS, and this was the big day where she was going to shed her human form and go to live with her imaginary ghost buddies. Realizing that this would have meant spending two more full years on Earth, she decided she couldn't wait that long and would instead aim for June the 9th, the anniversary of her first YouTube channel. Following in the disgraceful footsteps of Eric Harris, Randy named her two shotguns, Rachel and Mackenzie, and carved the guns' names into them. She also wrapped the handles of her guns with duct tape, as Eric had done. There were some propane tanks involved as well, but, but those were going to work out as well for Randy as they had for Eric. Also, following their example, she would miss the intended date of her murders by a day, though in this case, it was a day early rather than a day late. A week before the big day, there was a decision to make. Would Randy kill herself at home, or would she go on a shooting spree at work before taking her own life? When faced with such a difficult decision, the only logical option was to flip a coin. And of course, for the integrity of the event, the coin flip had to take place on camera. The 1983 quarter would be flipped three times, best out of three wins. If the coin landed on heads, Randy would kill herself at home. If it landed tails, she'd do it at work. Randy went to her backyard to perform the game of chance. The first slip landed on tails, so of course, the second one had to land heads, making it all come down to the final flip, and also making the first two flips irrelevant. Randy flung the quarter further than intended, so she grabbed the camera to search for it in the grass, trying to get the camera to zoom in. It had landed tails. To my ear, Randy sounded extremely disappointed upon declaring it was tails. She wanted attention. She wanted to make it feel like she mattered. She wanted to get out of a male body. For all the obsession with death and Columbine and the unhealthy fixation on Eric Harris, I'm not personally convinced that she actually wanted to kill anybody other than herself. But a person that believes a cartoon ghost dimension from Nickelodeon's show is real is also going to believe in fate. So she was bound by the flip of the coin. Technically, it isn't explicitly stated whether Randy's family would have been her victims if the coin landed heads. But when she saw the results, she said, Tails, which means there's going to be a loss of human life besides my own. 
To me, that indicates if it was done at home, it would have just been suicide rather than a murder-suicide. But for as meticulously as everything else was detailed and catalogued, we can't be absolutely sure. All the pieces were now in place. Randy had her guns. She had set the location. According to her, all she needed was to now get some eyeliner. The Big Day Randy had worked at the Weiss Market supermarket for years. She hated her job, and her father was manager at the store, which only strained their relationship. When Randy had turned 18, she took the initiative of getting a job at McDonald's on her own. Her father was proud of her until she quit three hours into her first shift. I know Rita sucked, but damn, you can tough it out longer than a few hours. Although if you immediately... Nah, I'd say you could, you could know. If you truly think a job... Like, maybe you've got some problem with the boss, or like... There's a bunch of reasons why people would quit a job immediately. I, I get that. Although I don't think I've ever quit a job that immediately. Or maybe I haven't, I just don't remember, because I had a bunch of random jobs. I don't think I've ever been three hours, though. <laughs> After this, Randy's father was on her case constantly about getting a job until finally getting to work, getting her to work at the Weiss Market, the same job he had complained to his family about constantly. Oh, okay, because we're in the past. He's, a guy, he's being referred to by male pronouns again, which is confusing. I'm sorry. This fueled Randy's hatred for living, not being able to understand how she could be expected to spend the next 30 years of her life carrying around what she viewed as a miserable, as miserable experience like her father had. In the early morning hours of July the 7th, 2017, Randy uploaded a strange video to her YouTube channel. It was a late-night tour of the Weiss Market where she worked, showing the layout and all the emergency exits. That night, Randy showed up for her closing shift as normal. She wasn't doing any work, but none of her co-workers seemed to notice. That was before the shooting would begin, after having already uploaded the layout of the store at the end of her shift early that morning, Randy was on her phone uploading a final animation project to YouTube. Before the animated Westboro High Massacre begins, Randy showed herself shows herself loading two shotguns, posing with them, kissing them, and then walking out the door with a duffel bag full of shells, two guns, and a few propane tanks. From the Rachel Shadows account around the time the Weiss Market video went up, she tweeted, Me and Randy are going to give the world a little insight as to what really lurks in the shadows of your everyday lives. Seems like generic edgy stuff out of context, but given the videos that were being uploaded at this point, the message was clear. Particularly with the Westboro High Massacre, there was nothing that was even remotely veiled anymore. Randy was no longer waving red flags, she was showing a plan of action. Given that final video went up hours before the shooting, it seems like she was still begging someone, anyone, to notice her and stop her. Yeah, guys, pay attention to... pay attention to your friends to your kids to your if you're a teacher your students wow but no one did the shift dragged on and as it did her co-workers focused on stocking the shelves so they could go home failed to notice that randy was wheeling pallets around the store and parking them in front of all the exits to block any path of escape holy sh- Shortly after midnight, she took to her phone again. On the main EGS page, she posted media file links to her journal and what she called her suicide tapes, and then said her final goodbye from Mackenzie's Twitter account. But Randy was an insane narcissist, so she was saying her final goodbye to herself through the voice of her imaginary soulmate. Quote, Things happen for a reason, good or bad, and I'm so sorry that things have to end like this. I speak for all of us when I say that. I hope we were able to get you through the day. I always hate goodbyes, but it's more like... See you later. Thank you, Mackenzie. Everything was in place for Randy's plan. She had had, she even had on her black eyeliner, started to look like one of her cartoon characters. All that was left was to wheel a pallet in front of the main entrance, where she had hidden her duffel bag, and lock the door. 
Her co-workers still didn't notice a thing, which if you've ever worked at retail honestly isn't surprising, especially when everyone is focused on finishing their work so they can lock up and go home. There were four other employees in the store that night, Victoria Brong, Brian Hayes, Terry Sterling, and Christian Newell. There are two different accounts of what happened in the store, but we'll be sticking with the one that was recorded on the store CCTV camera rather than eyewitness accounts because eyewitness testimony is the worst. Yeah, we discussed it before. There is, there's arguments. I say, I say this all the time. Anytime dodgy eyewitness testimony comes up, there's a strong argument for just throwing it out and just not having eyewitness testimony in courts. And yes, because obviously, you know, it's not, you know, a fallible human mind, CC. TV. Randy walked towards the aisle where Victoria was stocking shelves and shot her in the chest, wounding her. As she turned to run, Randy shot her again, repeatedly firing at the base of her skull, even after she was already laying dead on the ground. He then went to the next aisle where he found Kristen working. Much like Victoria had been, Kristen had earbuds in and was completely oblivious to her surroundings, so oblivious that she had no idea Randy, Randy was standing directly behind her with a loaded shotgun for five seconds before walking away, leaving Kristen alone again in the aisle. Randy then moved to another aisle where he found Brian and shot him five times from long range, hitting him in the arm, chest, head, and groin. She then tracked down Terry, the oldest of her co-workers, who was shot twice in the back, indicating that he was likely running away. At this point, Kristen was still in the aisle stocking shells when she finally took the headphones off and heard the gunshots. She ran to the employee room and called 911, unaware that it was already too late for all of her co-workers. She then decided that she needed to escape. After seeing Randy firing upon glass and merchandise with her back to her, Kristen made a break for the entrance. She was able to reach behind the pallet to unlock the door, but it wouldn't slide open, most likely because the pallet parked there was somehow messing with the sensor. Kristen was able to throw her way to the door until it popped open, and she fled the building, hiding behind a bush until help arrived. She said her immediate instinct was to run for a car, but that changed her mind when she saw Randy's car and went for the bush instead. I really want to make fun of how stupid a decision that seems, but I wouldn't be thinking straight under those circumstances either, so I'll give her a pass. Wait, what? what? I was just thinking this is a really smart decision, Kevin. What are you talking about? Like, if you're on the run for someone, it makes sense to hide. Like, how often are you watching a movie and someone's on the run from a killer and they're in, like, a warehouse or something and it's like, don't keep on running. Just hide. It's a giant warehouse. You just called the police. Help is on the way. Just hide in the bush. It'll be fine. I mean, it might be fine. You're, you're rolling the dice, but it seems pretty smart. Back inside the store, Randy opened fire on the propane tanks that she brought with her, expecting them to explode and destroy the store with it, her inside it. With how meticulous every other part of her plan was, you'd think she would have taken five so- seconds to look up. No, propane tanks will not explode if you shoot them. With that part of the plan failing, the only option left was to walk to the deli section of the store, place the barrel of the shotgun in her mouth, and pull the trigger. Her final tweet read, Goodbye, humans. I'll miss you. In the span of only a few minutes, Randy had fired 59 rounds from a shotgun into her co-workers, the surrounding merchandise, and herself. Even without suicide, June the 8th would have been her last day alive. Despite being as opposed to drugs as she was to therapy, Randy had ingested a lethal dose of Benadryl before her shift that night. Side effects of extremely high doses of Benadryl include hallucinations and blurred vision, symptoms that might explain why Kristen was allowed to escape with her life. The Suicide Tapes The first rule of casual criminalist is don't write down your crimes. While that is normally true, I'd like to add a corollary rule. 1A. If your crimes are going to end in a suicide, please write down everything in great detail because it makes our jobs a lot easier. The journal Randy released covered the previous year, and the suicide tapes were dozens of hours of footage spread over the previous six years. 
Much of the journal was nonsense. It opened with the sentence, I hate the world, a homage to the diary of Eric Harris. A lot of it was incoherent ramblings about the Columbine shooting. But there were some insights into Randy's psyche there as well. Inside the journal, Randy also confessed that she was extremely homophobic and racist. There were also details of a plan for the Weiss market, including a poorly drawn layout of the store, where she expected everyone to be where she began when she began firing. She even wrote in it that she didn't dislike Victoria, but that she had to go. After all, one does not simply disobey the divine wisdom of an arbitrary coin flip. The videos, however, were much more telling. Over the years, Randy talked about her struggles with life in general. It was here that she actually revealed being a girl to the public and repeatedly called out her parents for missing all the warning signs that something was wrong. For six years, she talked about her struggles with mental health, thoughts of death, and wanting to be noticed. She also repeatedly mentioned that she didn't know where she would be if it wasn't for her fans, though by the last few days before the shooting, she even seemed to turn on them, feeling that they hadn't done enough. She also proclaimed that she was a narcissist and would watch her own videos over and over again. Yeah, <laughs> I don't watch my own videos. Weird. How much of a narcissism was Randy, you ask? Her bedroom where she recorded her videos was lined with posters depicting the EGS characters. She gave explicit instructions to her family not to throw out the posters, but to instead give them to her fans because she had autographed the backs of each poster so they could be worth a lot of money. The delusion continues. Considering that, like everything Randy did, this entire thing was to gain attention, she would have been devastated to learn that it wasn't even national news. While news outlets in Pennsylvania covered the story extensively, national media coverage was still focused on the firing of FBI director James Comey. With a murder count of only three, it just wasn't a big enough story to capture the nation's attention. One interesting wrinkle is that for everything Randy confesses between the journal and the tapes, she says that there are other thoughts that she'll take with her to her grave. A few days before the shooting, Randy brings up Onision while rambling on. She mentions that she stopped watching Onision because he started cross-dressing in some of his videos. Randy then comments this is ironic since she cross-dressed herself and... Randy then comments that it's ironic since she cross-dressed herself and mentioned that we're pretty similar with some things we view. I'm not making up any accusations, but it does make you wonder. I don't know much about Anision. I do know he's often the subject of videos on YouTube where people are like, Anision. Like, the fall of Anision. <laughs> or like, stuff like this. I don't really know. I don't know. I don't Like, this side of YouTube, I don't really have any interest in. <laughs> Wrap up. We talked a lot this episode about Randy's issues with mental health. Yeah, I think it's... This is one of those videos where you've got two things going on like on one hand there's been a horrible crime committed but on the other hand it's been done by someone who clearly clearly is mentally unwell so how much if this did go to court how much responsibility are they going to end up wielding i get the feeling that she would end up in a psychiatric hospital rather than prison because she's clearly not right in her mind and the saddest thing well, you can't say the saddest thing because there were deaths. But the, one of the really sad things about this is that no one listened. No one was there. No one noticed what was going on. And I'll give a pass to our YouTube fans because those, you know, no offense, guys, but it's like I, <laughs> I don't expect you to come to my rescue. It's weird that she thought that that was the case. It's like I am an entertainer. That's what I do. Um and this, she has the same relationship with or similar relationship with her fans but the people in her life like the teachers and parents and uh, fellow students and workers at the store or whatever the people who actually knew her and missed out on all of this stuff which is not hidden below the surface which is obvious is really disappointing 
We also talked about Columbine, so I want to be very clear not to make the same mistake that the media as a whole made about the Columbine shooting. When that took place, the shooters were largely portrayed as victims. News outlets, news outlets painted a picture of two isolated loners who were constantly bullied and whose minds were being poisoned by violent video games and lashed out at their aggressors the only way they could figure out. Absolutely none of that was true, and they were not victims at all. They were murderers. No matter what struggles Randy was going through mentally, discussing them is only to paint a detailed picture of how all this happened. She was not a victim. Okay, she's not a victim. This is a really complicated one, Kevin. Um, just because someone has committed a crime doesn't mean that they themselves are not a victim. Like, if someone is um, abused as a child they're a victim of child abuse and if they go on to murder someone it also means they're a perpetrator you can be a victim and a perpetrator at the same time obviously there have been huge failings in society that allow her to become a perpetrator and but she's also she is at the same time a victim of the failings of society but obviously that's outweighed by the fact that she went on a killing spree Wow, this is morally complex, <laughs> at least for my small brain. Victoria Bronk, Brian Hayes, and Terry Sterling were the victims. We can use these events and Randy's journal and suicide tapes to better understand what caused it and try to prevent it from happening in the future. Mental anguish is not an excuse for murder. No, it's certainly not. I'm, I would, I'm not saying that. It's estimated that 5% of adults are suffering from depression right now and that 15% will at some point in their life. That's more than 1 in 7 people, which means if you are depressed, you're not alone. If you feel you're suffering mentally, be it from depression or anything else, it's okay to seek help. This isn't the 1920s or even the 1980s, when it was thought that therapists were only for crazy people. Attention-seeking behavior and cries for help might work, but as we've seen, people can be completely oblivious to even the most obvious signs. So if you're suffering, it's okay to ask directly or seek out help instead of waiting for it to be offered to you. Also, ghosts aren't real. Cartoon characters aren't real, and cartoon ghosts, especially ones that you drew yourself, are neither real nor your soulmate. I'm willing to give you a pass on believing in ghosts in general, but if you find any other part of that statement to be controversial, talk to a therapist. Yeah, um, interesting. I mean, I'm not entirely sure I agree with Kevin's opinion on everything there, but you probably might not agree with mine or Kevin's or something. It's probably a spectrum. It's not black and white. Nothing's, things are very rarely black and white. Anyway, this has been an episode of The Casual Criminals. Thank you so much for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, please do like. Leave a comment if you fancy it. If you're watching as a podcast, reviews are amazing. I saw on Spotify that we've got 5,000 or 5,100 ratings or something, which blew my mind. That's Especially because they just introduced ratings like two months ago. If you're on Spotify, go give us a rating. That'd be awesome. Let's, let's see that climb all the way up to the moon. And I will see you next time. I'm going to go find some medication or something. Jesus. <laughs> Bye, guys. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.